Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? longest running star trek the next generation rewatch podcast every week we're coming at you with on the set stories and forbidden lore about the next generation otherwise known as the greatest generation my name is mitchell mel's chief consultant services at paramount and with me is my life partner brandon hobbs how are we today it's still summer it's still hot how you holding up oh yeah oh it's hot uh, we got a little bit of a storm brewing outside so uh hopefully the power doesn't cut out while we're recording this that would be embarrassing. But, uh, it would be. Um, we would be forced to upload it as is, because mm-hmm. um, that's that's part of our contract. There's really um, no point to um, doing any kind of editing anyway. I like to think. All right. I mean, I guess it's kind of like you know we give you the raw, unfiltered. We're real. You yeah. know, we're we're not we're not like the other girls. Um, we, we raw dog it. We raw dog it. That's the, you know what? That's a great way of putting it. I've never heard. Never heard anyone say that before. Right. You see the other podcasts, they, they edit out the uh, the seven-second intervals of unlistenable silence, but not mm-hmm. us. Yeah, or the, you know, the the heavy breathing. Right, right. Uh, the the awkward waiting for a joke to land. Um, the um, we wanna racism. Give, we want to give you the experience of, you know, I'm on one of your ears. Brandon's on the other, and you can hear us directly coming into you. You feel the breathing mm. on your earlobes. Right, right. Actually, we may start. Um, we may start having a segment where we eat on right. the podcast. We've been discussing this. You know, I heard about this. My grandson was telling me it's like asthma. You were saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, that, that sounds about right. Um, I guess. Um, I guess people get off to to hearing people's mouth sounds. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I have um, I have a bottle of seltzer water here, and I'm going to drink it, perhaps sensually, for mm. the, for the audience. Um, and really, it's for me too, which is nice. <sighs> I hope that was wow. appealing. Wow, <laughs> that was uh, that was that was something. <laughs> Speaking of something, you'll never guess what I have for you. Um, a question of the week? I have a question of the week. (laughs) (laughs) So, this week's week's question comes from one Cindy in LA. Uh, Mm. Cindy asks, did they ever settle the class action sexual harassment lawsuit against Jonathan Frakes? Oh, no. I don't know much about your podcast, but I need the answer to this. (laughs) And Cindy, that's a great question. As they all tend to be. Um, so, you know, pretty hardcore. This is something hardcore fans might not even know. But uh, Frakes had a lot, quite a bit of legal trouble uh, following his behavior on set towards the end of the series run. Because um, as we were ramping up, uh, Frakes, first of all, he was always the same no matter what. But mm-hmm. as we were ramping up, he kind of had more star power, right? Like he was one of the leads. The show was gaining success. Nobody yep, really yep. wanted to, to come at him, but towards the end of the run... Oh, that seltzer water's catching up with me. 
um, towards the end of the run, um, the popularity of the show was waning a bit, and Frakes didn't have the same, like, golden halo that he did before. So people had felt a little more emboldened, a little more confident to to, mm-hmm. to take him down. And suddenly they just started popping up like like prairie dogs out of the ground. Just dozens and dozens of like old uh, female extras or guest stars or even members of the crew who um, all accused Frakes of the, the same sexual misconduct. Uh, right, right. And, you know, that many people can't be wrong. No, no. Uh, on treks that we always believed women, and uh, mm-hmm. even back mm-hmm. then, Frakes. Yeah, we were a little ahead of our time. We were. We didn't believe Frakes very, very much about just about anything. Um, <laughs> but he got kind of belligerent in response to this. The show was on its way out anyway, so it, it wasn't something anybody had to deal with for that long of a time. But um, anyway, the they did settle the lawsuit, and Frakes had a pretty hefty payout that he had to that he had to do and all of his trek money was kind of down the drain which is why he just afterwards he started taking basically any job that he could um actually very big super fans will know that jonathan frakes was in star trek picard and this mm-hmm. is after mm-hmm. he swore off doing any more trek stuff but you know he needed the money and uh obviously they were willing to pay to get him into it just because the fans just want to see people that they know and uh yeah so if you're happy as a star trek fan that frakes was in star trek picard you can thank his sexual misconduct for that and his mm-hmm. need to to pay off uh, literal scores of spurned and harassed women yeah it is uh it's interesting how um you know even even bad decisions can come around and uh have have a really great positive effect on the world mistakes and the miracles really mm-hmm absolutely so great question cindy um i hope that if you're entitled to a payout you uh get what you deserve and uh if not well frank certainly got what he deserved if uh you're at you guys at home you have a question of the week that you want us to answer well you don't know if your question is of the week yet but if you have a question you want us to answer <laughs> Then feel free to to send our uh, us an email, readyroom at gmail dot com. That's with a capital T and two capital R's. Or you can DM us on Twitter. Or if you go to our um, uh, okay, what was the name of it? Our oh, Friendster, what? our Friendster site. You'll find us there too. Mm-hmm. So anywhere you want to contact us, we're accepting questions of the week. Maybe it'll be of the month. Who knows? If it's a truly monumentous question, right, right, we'll ask it. Um, we'll ask it once every week for for four weeks. Exactly, exactly, and uh, it's that kind of creativity that we want to celebrate and cultivate amongst the definitely. Fans. So definitely, yeah, that that'll be uh, whoever gets to the first question of the month. I think we'll send them a shirt or something, some kind of merch. Yeah, yeah, actually, so look out for some new merch premiering after. Uh, this this week's episode i don't want to spoiler i don't want to spoil you on what the the shirt's going to be but there's certainly something to look forward to yeah i think uh i think you'll know it by the end of this episode you'll be able to pick up on uh on what it's going to be exactly so send us your best questions your bestions all right mm-hmm. so that will take us to this week's episode and we're still mired in season two 
uh, after we one, are mired. After one week, it has not ended. <laughs> Somehow, um, um, what yeah. was where silence has lease, which where silence has lease, where silence has lease. This ep- mm. this episode title, I don't know why it was chosen. It's it's very vexing. I know it's from a. I'm poem. not sure either. I haven't read the poem. I, I'm sure you haven't either. So, no. If there is some context in there that would tell us why it was chosen, we certainly don't know it. Well, here's the thing, right? It's there's no place in this episode that's featured prominently. It's not about the location, whereas. Mm-hmm. The title obviously alludes to a place. I believe the poem itself was written about, like, the Yukon. Some kind of Arctic location. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is more about an entity who is not Silence. Uh, Right, yeah. Um, I mean, does Silence have lease at all in this episode? Well, what is Silence leasing this place from is the, the, the bigger question. Right. Um... Hmm. I mean, I guess you could go the easy route and, you know, just make it a dichotomy. You know, um, the, the, the the absence of silence it would be leasing from. True, but isn't silence the absence of noise? It's, this, is well, a, right. this is a hot, cold situation. Sure. 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 It's. I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? So What, heat and noise? Well, yes, kind of, but no. I mean, they're both energy, aren't they? We are energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting we're getting a little too trek right now. Sorry, sorry. Um, um so we have a uh, we have a cool bottle episode. A cool bottle episode? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a bottle episode, right? You know, um, is this some fan uh, fan lingo I'm not privy well, to? Well, no, no, no. It's a, it's it's a you you've you've been through the industry. It's a it's a it's an industry term. You know, um, low budget, kind of standard sets, few guests, that kind of thing. You know, I don't talk to anybody when I'm at work. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's, and you know, I find that Star Trek is almost honestly at its best during these low budget episodes. Yeah, well, Star Trek is more it's better when it's about the the dynamics between people or at least entities right. Um, right politics uh mental battles stuff like that mm-hmm. and that's obviously very cheap to execute you just need a good yeah script. it's it's really i mean a lot of it comes down to you know a feeling of exploration a feeling of mystery um i know i know maurice loved this episode um we had we had uh Winrick directing Rick um who would uh he'd go on to date Janeway actually um in the show and, uh, well not in the show but in real life uh, I see. and um we, we we see him again a few times notably the the series finale he directs um and um he actually spent i mean because it it is a bottle episode he's he spent a lot of time and you notice this as you're watching a lot of time directing the movement, the action of the characters, so as to kind of, you know, have them move around more than they usually would on the bridge because so much time is spent on the bridge. Right. Um, which, you know, is is actually really hard to do from a wheelchair 
So, um, I mean, I remember being impressed by that, watching how he was able to take um, what some might consider, you know, after 40 minutes on it, a boring set and, and actually make it pretty dynamic. Well, the trick was that we he used one of those old-timey um, funnels that directors used to shout into to project their voice mm. so people could mm-hmm. hear him from the wheelchair because he couldn't right. get it on set. Um, right. Now, you're right. It is uh, visually interesting despite the, the lack of overt action, which, which is a... a the strength of the episode and certainly something that we can pin on the director. So mm-hmm. it's not easy to do that because there's a lot of, a lot of boring, boringly shot Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, there certainly is, especially coming out of season one. Yes. Like all these flat camera angles for characters to sit in chairs and maybe they swivel. Right. Right. Um, Speaking of chairs, I, oh, I'm in for this. I don't know I what you're going to gonna say, but out. I'm into this. <laughs> I need to point this out because I don't know if we're going to be able to deal with it. But um, in Picard's room, we see, I, I think I think we spent a lot of time trying to not have this happen on camera, where you would see the wheels on a chair. Yeah, it takes you out of it. It does, doesn't it? Um, although, there's... There's nothing to suggest, really, um, that we would evolve beyond wheeled chairs on a starship. You know what I mean? It's funny. I mean, be- what's really the point? It's funny because it cuts both ways. On one hand, um, there's this part of your brain that thinks, oh, what? That's the same chair that I have at home. What the hell? And then mm-hmm. if it, if they were to have this futuristic floating chair with made with, like, silicone, you'd You'd think, what, even the chairs have to be futuristic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and also consider the chair you're sitting in right now isn't uh, all that different from a chair a few hundred years ago, so. This is true. Um, so it's, but that's the weird thing about um, doing something creative for a general audience is that you, at some point you have to accept the uh, the audience's illogical way of thinking and, and cater mm-hmm. to that because e- even if people will examine it and realize it's kind of dumb to think that way, the fact that their first instinct is, oh, these, these chairs, they're not futuristic, what the hell? Um, that's what you're fighting against. And Yeah, yeah, for sure. And as, as somebody managing the expectations of an audience, it's not enough to just say, no, no, you're wrong. Your way of thinking is wrong. Even if that's true, um, it's too much momentum to fight against. And mm-hmm. in creative industries, a lot of time is spent uh, acquiescing to to something you really shouldn't have to. Right, right. That's a fair point. Um, All right. So this, but can... I mean, it, it it certainly bothered me. I I oh. I can understand why completely, but. Um, it's one of the things that bothers you, and then you, th- you get kind of embarrassed about thinking about it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm the retard. I know, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely, I am. <coughs> um, but, uh, so what What did you think about the, I guess, the conceit of this episode? I I liked the conceit of this episode. I liked the, um, the entity character. It's... Mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to say that it was handled 100% perfectly or that this is a great episode, because I don't think it is, mm-hmm. but the the general setup of everything and more or less how it plays out, I thought were pretty pretty interesting, especially the, the parallel drawn between the two sides at the very end uh, was a nice way to end it. Um, I, right, right. Because when you think about, like, okay, you know, you have this curious entity that's doing some kind of research on lower life forms. Well, it certainly makes sense that they would uh, really not have much regard for the lives of that lesser life form. And they would just kind mm-hmm. of more or less cruelly experiment on them. And and you know that because that's just what human beings do. Like, right. for obviously, you know, standards are different at different points and uh, society but like live experimentation on animals is something we have a long history of so it just makes sense that that would extend one level higher um because you i always kind of i get frustrated when fiction has this idea that um intelligence capability and ethics all scale linearly with each other whereas right right like oh this is a higher life form so of course they're going to have a higher ethical code than us and that's that doesn't necessarily follow so seeing this guy this thing which is clearly well beyond humanity or most life forms in the federation just not really have much of an ethical code at least the one that matches what that of the main characters uh, that makes a lot more sense. That seems a lot more real in the science fiction show. That's a good point, too. And, I mean, we've more or less proven, too, that um, intelligence kind of scales along with the, the capability of being cruel. Right, exactly. So if, if anything, that's, they're that's inverse. A, right, 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 right. So it's uh, that's, that's a really good point that, um, you know, you're probably far more likely to run into... Uh, a being of higher intelligence that um, that has, you know, uh, very lax moral codes when it comes to dealing with with lesser life forms, right? And it does that um, without being um, overtly evil. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah. It's not cackling like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill half your crew." Haha. <laughs> just, right, oh, right. I'm gonna run this experiment. I'll probably need about a third of your crew, maybe half. But after that, right. you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. He said, "Yeah." He says, uh, "He's like." Oh, I'll only need about a third, so it should be fine, right? Yeah, he's he's almost he's almost bargaining, right? And which is interesting. It's to the point where um, it's a, it's a reasonable enough offer that Worf is like, yeah, let's let's just do that. If this was a battle, right, right, one third right. of our crew is that's a pretty acceptable loss. Yeah, which which is interesting. Uh, it, it is it's very interesting to have one of your one of your main characters kind of acquiesce to a situation like this and this is why these um more mental lower scale conflicts work better for star trek because star trek mm-hmm. is primed for the, these ethical dilemmas all right, well, right what do we do and everyone's got their different outlook because it's a pretty diverse cast of characters and um it makes complete sense that one of them would end up siding with the antagonist quote-unquote right it's kind of uh kind of i think the first episode we see where picard is really kind of just morally wrong 
Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't get the, the the development of this decision. So mm-hmm. after uh, Nagilam, the entity, um, proposes that uh, ultimatum. Not really. Just he asks for a third of their crew as a sacrifice uh-huh. for the experiment. Um, Picard comes to the to the decision to blow up the ship, and he comes to that decision extremely quickly. So they have they hold a meeting, and Worf's like, maybe we should give it to him. And somebody says, no, let's not do that. And then Picard says, let's blow up the ship. And then they just go do that. They go prime the self-destruct sequence. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it's, it's, it's an issue of... And I, I guess Riker does go along with it, but it's an issue of Picard's own sense of pride that he's kind of projecting yes. onto yeah. everyone else. That's exactly what um, I said. It's a pride thing, which is weird. Yeah. Which I I understand him personally having that, but it it is it is weird, and I think it's maybe a little out of character for him to project that onto the rest of his crew. Um, where you know uh, a thoughtful captain might say, "Hey, you know, people would probably because because he didn't announce it to um to the crew at all, really? Do they? No, they just kind of decide to arm it and uh, um." I mean, I also have to bring up that that it used to be five minutes, but now they can set it to anything they want, which is interesting. Yeah. The uh, the, the the countdown timer. Plot hole. Um, which I mean has been observed by probably ten thousand people before us. So, uh, not exactly an original thing to say, but um, but it's true. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and and you know now that we've now that we've kind of um, introduced the 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 name of this character, um. Nagilam. Great name. I do have to I do have to um I do have to tell a little anecdote to our audience here. Um N- Nagilam as a name, um there's there there's a lot of backstory to this, right? Um it's actually an anagram, right? Um and you know it's it's not as simple as as reading it backwards because um you know a, a few people have posited that, but um not really quite the case. So it's it's an anagram of so so the character's name in the, in the the first copy of the final draft was Ligma Nu, right? L I G M A space N U. Mm. Okay, and um, of course, keeping with Oriental customs, his surname comes first. So um, Nu is his first name. Um, so when when we had these these confrontation scenes of this character and we started filming them, Patrick just for some reason. Uh, he couldn't remember its name, um, right? The, the the cameras went on. He just stood up there stuttering, like the uh, ligma, ligma. You know what was it? It's not um, uncommon, by the way, with the amount of techno babble and uh, fan. And no, fake races. not at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, who who could be asked to remember all of these stupid names? Uh, I mean, if if I weren't getting paid for it, um, I certainly would not be doing this. Oh hell no. Um. So, you know, Patrick is up there, Ligma, Ligma what, right? And, um, and you know, Frakes just pounces, right? He, he, he just shouts, Ligma balls. You, you can um, see why this was the man who had a class action lawsuit for sexual harassment. <laughs> certainly. And um, so, so we all turn to him, and, uh, I mean, he's basically rolling on the floor thanks to his own joke, and I, I don't think anyone else was laughing, Mitch. Hmm. Um it was it was it was a little embarrassing um 
and we thought, you know, giving him maybe like half an hour to get it out of his system would work, but um, no. Like every every time the character's name would come up, it was Ligma Balls, right? <laughs> every so, fucking time. Every time. Um, so basically what the writers did was they just jumbled all the letters around, and um, they actually just got rid of most direct references to the name just to be safe. You can never be too safe around around Frakes. Yeah, not with Frakes. Um, I I have to speak to the... I don't know if I loved or hated the face. That's a good... That's a good question. Um, on So, conceptually, I think it, it kind of works when it's uh, this higher entity trying to take on the form of, you know, the the races it encounters to better mm-hmm. interface with them. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, it's not like a perfect representation of, of a human face. So, the question then becomes, is the higher entity just incompetent at replicating <laughs> something it can right. see? Or... <laughs> Or what? Or is it right. an amalgam of the different races on the Enterprise? Because there's Klingons mm-hmm. too and androids. I'm not quite sure. I To remove the logical thinking about it and just see what's on the screen, I think I like it. It's otherworldly, it's strange, and it's better than a, like a floating head that it would have been had it been more accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, that that is a good point that you raised, though. Is is this thing just kind of retarded? <laughs> Maybe it's it's you know an idiot uh, from that race, and right, right. It's 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 kind of it's kind of just the uh, a, like like an analog to a, a retarded kid burning ants with a microscope. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's definitely a possibility. Uh, there, uh, there goes Timmy again. He calls himself Nagilum. Yeah, yeah. Lord of uh, the Ants. <laughs> Nagilum. <laughs> yeah, so, um, why don't we take a step back and, and start with the, uh, the way this episode opens, because, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a Rykorf episode. It is a Rykorf episode. Astoundingly. I, I don't know what to think about the first three minutes where they're training on the holodeck for some reason. Right, right. Well, I mean, Worf is introducing Riker to his uh, his, his daily regiment, I guess, um, which, you know, would go on to spawn countless works of fan fiction. Um, you know, famously, there's the one where, you know, Riker asks Picard, or Riker asks Worf to stand down and... Um, you know he does not stand down. He, what was he, his he plan there? Straight up. <laughs> um, Hold on. But w- was he going to kill Riker? I don't. Is the idea that Worf cannot be trusted? He he just had so much adrenaline running through him. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he was about to he was about to kind of like sexually pounce on Riker after he killed all the Power Rangers. Right. right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Have Have you ever Have you ever killed someone and then kind of gotten like a a little bit of an erection. Yeah. I have. Um, you know, I, I know I know Grand Theft Auto is popular with the kids these days. Um, 
Oh, it, and, oh uh, yeah, a game. Um, yes, yes, yeah. the video game. Right, I uh, see. And I, I, I know, um, I know if I were killing women in that game, um, you know, it, it would probably awaken something in me. What do they call it? Like a power fantasy? Something like that. Mm. Um, so here's something about this scene. Something I quite enjoy about it. I, in, I really like how uh, Michael Dorn plays Worf in these combat scenarios. The, the posture he takes on and the the, the way that Klingons are portrayed as being very animalistic, very aggressive. You can see just from the way he stands that um, it, it's a lot of physical acting that sheds light on what it means for Worf to be a Klingon, how he's differentiated right. from the human crew. Right. Which, it's said a lot with very little, which I like. Right, right. I, you know, I think we can attribute that to, I mean, Doran, obviously, um, he, he's, he's done a pretty great job up to this point. Um, I think a lot of that was Rick, though, too, in this episode. That's true. Uh, he, he was he was very concerned about the way people were moving, um, you know, much more so than, than we usually were, so... Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was cool to see that. And I mean, honestly, the whole thing was choreographed pretty well. It was interesting. It was an interesting fight, even if it was not an interesting premise per se. I mean, when we open in on the holodeck, that's obviously a holodeck. I don't know if we're supposed to, you know, feel tense or worried for these characters as if they're on some kind of mission. Um, you know, the, the episode really opens with Troy, um, you know, once again, using her powers, to uh to tell an obviously worried picard that he's worried this might be the worst example of this in, uh, well, that we've you know, seen so far <laughs> i don't know because because later on um you know when when the power starts going out and stuff um troy says hmm yeah i do sense something unusual <laughs> you know which is it possible that the worst two examples of this are in the same episode? <laughs> it's it's very possible, and I, I think they are the worst examples. So, because Picard is literally shuffling around the bridge awkwardly in silence for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that is when Troy makes the observation that he's worried about something. Now, what, right. what, what was he worried about? The, the, the Rorf situation? Yeah, uh, uh, right, Korf. Right, sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I guess so. I guess he was worried. Of, yeah, but why would he be worried? Exactly. <laughs> it, did like, he it was, think it that was clearly Worf set up was going to kill Go Riker? Right, and and he almost does actually. So maybe his his worries were well founded. But are the 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 whole thing is set up like in spite of itself. Like we're we're clearly supposed to feel like worried for these characters. But anyone with with half a brain would notice that this is a a, a holodeck set, right? So <laughs> I don't know. It's it's another uh, another opening. We've had a couple of these that that really doesn't make sense once you get five minutes into the episode. No, it's all for the spectacle of it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but luckily, we get better from there. We do. It's I would I would say that that's probably the worst part of the episode, just mm. not maybe not in the moment but overall. Once yeah, as, as a piece of the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Now here's a question. My memory's failing me, 
but I really feel as though the set, that holodeck set where that battle takes place, was used in another episode, and I believe a later episode. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to say it was uh, it was one of the earliest episodes it was used in. I think. Well, I'm glad I'm not uh, crazy. Which one was it? I don't know if it was the pilot or one closely after, but I'm fairly certain that was that was a reused set. And I mean, it would make sense considering this whole episode was kind of a budget production. Right. Yeah. I mean, from the um, set to the costumes of the uh, uh, the things that they're fighting. Right. Right. Does not. It was very cheap. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so following that is when the the real thrust of the episode is presented, where there's this kind of rift, this hole in space, mm-hmm. and nobody can quite identify what it is. It doesn't give out any readings of anything, and uh, any probe they launch into it just disappears. And this is where yeah. the, the greatest mystery... Philo- philosophical mystery of perhaps the entire series is presented where and I, I mentioned this to you where they want to go intercept that whole thing to get a better look at it and investigate it but to do this Picard says to go to half impulse speed for their engines and they would arrive in 12 minutes now the question is <laughs> Why not just go to full impulse speed and arrive in six minutes? Um, having watched this episode once again, I don't know. I don't know. He's clearly doing nothing else with this time. Right. It's not. It's not as though they needed to prepare for anything. He's um, not making tea or anything. No. Although that would be great. Let's go to half impulse and get there in twelve minutes, so I can make some tea in the replicator right. that makes it instantly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, re- replicate a, a a boiling pot of tea, um, unboiled. Well, I need to. Th- that's what Data did, so that he could watch it boil. Right. Right. That is. Yeah. Just, just amazing. So, as soon as they get to that rift in space, it basically envelops them, and we're treated to. Uh, several minutes of them just flying in circles, comprehending that they're in this spaceless space that doesn't really mm-hmm. adhere to mm-hmm. uh, Euclidean ideas. Yeah, and um, Dr. Pulaski walks onto the bridge for basically no reason other than the fact no, that no she, reason. She, she has to be part of the plot because she's a new character and... Uh, you know, once again, she's definitely supposed to be this this bones type um, that, that that comes in and kind of starts shit. So um, it, we're, we're treated to a very weird scene between her and Data. Second one in two episodes. Yeah, um, that that really goes nowhere at all. I mean, it's introduced just to Peter out two minutes later. So questionable. Here's here's an interesting tidbit from that conversation. Um, Pulaski in eventually accepting data because well first of all she asks him to zoom in on the the view screen and she turns everybody else in the room and says does he even know how to zoom in does he even know how to do this 
which mm-hmm. is a weird question because it's a fucking computer. It, you know, obviously it knows how to do something. But anyway, she ends this exchange by taking a deep breath and saying, the record says you are alive. I must accept that. Well, mm. why would the record say that Data is alive? I, I, th- I think any science-minded individual would accept that Data is not alive because he's not. It's, it's a machine you can turn off. Well, it does stretch your interpretation of what living is, but I mean, he is sapient, so is that not life to some degree? I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I mean, me. it could just be that the way we the way we define life is very narrow, though, isn't it? Is it? I think it is. And I, I think I think if you're going into the future, you're probably going to find examples of, of um, you know, life not being quite as uh, easily defined. You know, and I, th- I think... I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's a cool place to go for for sci-fi. Now, sure. However, this doesn't gel with future depictions of uh, different characters' relationship with Data. For example, there's one episode where somebody from Starfleet is requesting to acquire Data for study purposes right. and insist that he's just property of the Federation. Now, that's not how that episode ends, ultimately, but the fact that that guy had a case at all does not does not gel with this. Secondly, Data is believed to be destroyed at different times uh, by members of the crew who don't really go on to mourn him at all, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, again, doesn't really fit this idea of Data being alive like everybody else. Well, I don't know if they're really mutually exclusive, per se like data's you know, just I a mean, dick and nobody wants to mourn data, him even if he well is no alive. data's data's basically just a slave true uh and i mean i think i think this does have ramifications going forward i mean especially you know going into picard and stuff like that um yeah i mean androids are basically slaves i there's one uh bit of dialogue that kind of reference that and i don't know if it was an episode that was later if it's one that we saw um but it deals with data experiencing something like guilt because he wasn't mm. at the bridge 24 7 like he ostensibly could be oh yeah i think i think we did watch that one already yeah which is an interesting point of view what to consider while uh thinking of the androids as slaves mm-hmm. because they could just man the ship throughout all hours of the day right, right right i mean they they almost deserve to be slaves right i agree with that uh, or 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 should i say um they they are so superior in their ability that um they gosh how do i even say this um there's no reason for humans to be doing their work Right, so, I don't, and and they don't really have feelings. Um, I mean, I guess maybe they're in in their their sapience they can develop them over the course of years, but you know, out of the box they don't really have feelings. So, you know, I don't know how I feel about the idea of androids being able to develop feelings. It's something that I would rather be more binary in the sense that you either have feelings or you don't. Um. I enjoy a sense of futility hanging over Data's continued quest <laughs> for humanity. 
I think yeah. that makes it more interesting rather than it just being something that he's solely progressing to. Sure, sure. But again, that's another thing I don't I don't find to be mutually exclusive because there's t- to a degree emotions are dictated by our biology, but they're also dictated to a degree by uh, society, right? Um, so mm-hmm. data can pro- procure those those certain kinds of of society dictated emotions um even if they're not necessarily inherent to his being right hmm. uh, and and you can kind of you can sort of start approaching what is human even though yeah i do think that it is it is futile ultimately but not not entirely right fair enough i buy that well, um, and luckily, that's not at all what this episode is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thankfully, um, th- this this is uh, this this uh, this doesn't get get really delve into at all. Um, it, the the doctor um, insults Data, and then a minute later apologizes and has her entire character arc laid out in the in the, the space of of that that time. This is preceded, by the way, by one of the best moments of the episode where Pulaski walks onto the bridge and a minute later asks, why am I here? I'm not a bridge officer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really such a weird little contrivance to have this character do something. Um, It bothered the hell out of me. I have to say I did like the, you know, we, we have to get these, these little data jokes in every once in a while. I did like the uh, the she and Data start like start to discuss the ramifications of I think it was this this space not or this dimension not being a dimension at all or something, and and Picard comes in and he's like okay we'll discuss that like any other time but now basically there were a few Um, overtly humorous moments in this episode yeah Um, there's one later on where uh, somebody poses the question i believe like what is death and data goes on this tangent about uh the ending of life or something and picard's mm-hmm. like oh is that all kind of flippantly i, I found yeah that to be yeah sensibly humorous speaking of picard being flippant he's a little flippant this entire episode isn't he i mean at least before before nagilam shows up hmm. uh He's kind of like just walking around the bridge smirking as as the power goes out and people are kind of terrified. Yeah, and it that leads all the way up to him on a on a lark deciding to blow up the enterprise. <laughs> Which I'm still just so vexed over. You would Yeah. What is why is it preferable to blow up the enterprise than just lose a third of its crew? Mhm. I don't get it. It doesn't. It's... No, it doesn't make any sense, and it, it also doesn't make sense that um, that no one did object to it. Really. Earlier in the episode, there's this weird. Um, I forget exactly when this conversation takes place, but there's this weird discussion of mutinies. And um, yes, I believe between, yes. between Riker and Picard. Mm-hmm. And Riker says, "Well, nobody on this ship would." Uh, mutiny against you, Captain. And then Picard just kind of blows him off. He's like, oh, that's great to hear. 
which yep. was also strange. But at at the very least, this is like the perfect opportunity to for that to pay off in some way, where Picard is considering killing everybody, and then there's some some slightly mutinous reaction to that. Right. I mean, I think we were still at the point where, like, uh, in intra crew conflict was not uh, was not allowed really. Right. So, so so instead, the Enterprise became a death cult. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Literally, uh, we'll, we'll we'll do any, we'll go that far to prevent there being any kind of conflict among the bridge crew to, to the point where they just kind of relinquish their lives at the drop of a hat because their captain uh, is is too proud to allow his crew to to get uh, one third of them to get sacrificed. All right. Imagine this take on this episode, where um, instead of the the drama of blowing up the ship we get a scene where Nagilam says okay i have selected the third of your crew that i'm going to take um i've done something to alert these people to visibly alert these people that they've been chosen uh, as sacrifices mm-hmm. and because i'm a higher life form i'll give you uh an hour two hours to say your goodbyes and then there's all yep. this inter-crew drama of people dealing with this in various ways before ultimately, you know, the Picard foils the scheme somehow. Mm-hmm. Like how cool would that and have been? It, that's an interesting idea, but well beyond the scope of like a 45 minute episode at this point, for sure. So true. It would need a lot of restructuring to allow that. They, they, time. they would have had to cut out. They would have had to cut out Pulaski's very important scene for sure. They would have had to cut out the Rykorf, uh, Rykorf, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it could be done. It could be done, and it's a nice idea. Uh, it, just the way that this was written and the way that this story progressed in rewrites, they, that it was just never going to happen that way. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so. I found this odd. They run into a Romulan ship, and um, they immediately just kill it. And and Jordy kind of celebrates the death of a bunch of Romulans, <laughs> which I I mean I get it, but I I it seems a little like out of character for someone on the bridge to celebrate death, right? I don't think that ever really happens when they win a battle. Right, right. It's always like a little more solemn. Right. The the, the loss <laughs> of life, <laughs> and it's great when it's Jordy very childlike <laughs> not reading the yeah. room right he can he can read the rainbow but not the room oh oh boy um so that happens and then there's a the sister ship of the enterprise drifts oh, drifts in the view and, and how convenient that it's the sister ship huh right wouldn't you know it <laughs> can just reuse all the same sets <laughs> yep yep so how, so rykorf ends up walking around the uh basically the enterprise how, how do you feel about the pronunciation of the ship's name the yamato the yamato it's it's about what i would expect from from a 1980s uh show on net, network television yeah that's a good way of putting it but it still bothered me every single time they said it yeah I was expecting there to be some kind of like like one character would say it one way and another would say it completely differently. I thought that Data would pronounce it correctly. Yes, yeah, me too. I thought I thought he was going for it, but no, it was all Yamato. So, 
So they yep, go yep. to that ship, Rikor, and there's some cool stuff happening over there where they randomly both hear each other scream. Mm-hmm. It's like, I heard you scream, I came running. I heard you scream. And it doesn't really make sense when you consider the the, the final circumstances of what's happening with Nagilam and all that, but you know, it's interesting at the time. And then they start they find the bridge of the sister ship, which is completely ghost town. And when Worf opens a door to maybe the ready room or the lift or something, it opens to another room of the bridge. Right. That Picard right. is also uh, not Picard. That Riker is in. So basically, it's once again just like the entire space that the sh- that they're inhabiting is a kind of a non-Euclidean thing going on. And mm-hmm. this leads to the best single line of dialogue ever in the next generation, and perhaps fiction, when Worf, frustrated with the uh, illogical Escher spacing that he's inhabiting, shouts out, One Riker, one bridge. Yep. Which yep. I found wonderful. And apparently, many other people did too. Um, apparently, this was the beginning of the, quote, one Riker, one bridge movement in the Mm -hmm. fandom, which we didn't know about for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I I remember. I mean, we found out, like, years later, uh, and what a a surprise. Yeah, so what this was was a group of fans who were very, very adamant and united over the idea that there should not be any kind of parallel universe, multiple timelines time travel kind of plots in the show that would ever result in, for example, there being two Enterprises or two Rikers or whatever it is. Hence the name, One Riker, One Bridge. And any, because we didn't know about this, we would have these these episodes, you know, every so often. Mm-hmm. And man, the unadulterated rage this caused in these people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was enough um, that we when we finally did hear about it, it was still still burning. So what we did was, in the, I think, season seven, maybe season six, we explicitly made an episode where Worf is jumping between many timelines um, um, almost, like, extremely quickly, putting in as many Worf's bridges and Rikers as we could. Right, right. Just to spite these people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know... The reason it took so long is because the mail we received from these people, from this organization, um, it would always just say one Riker, one bridge, and we had no idea what they were talking about. Right, because we don't, nobody has an encyclopedic knowledge of episodes of Trek. We didn't even realize that that was a quote from one of our shows. Right, right. But, of course, looking I mean, back on it. More than anything, it sounded like a threat. Yeah. Which I guess it was, wasn't it? It's true. But in our mind, you know, Frakes wasn't going anywhere. There was only going to be one Riker. We didn't redesign the Enterprise, so we were fine. Mm-hmm. One Riker, yeah, I, it one all worked out. Get uh, get yourselves ready for the T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're coming. They're coming, and they're going to be great. And they're going to be gray. And, yeah, they are going to be gray or uh, or blue, uh, whichever one you want. Exactly. Um, so on on the bridge, one thing I noticed that was really really cool was uh, you know you you had those those typical Enterprise bridge sounds, but like distorted. Yeah, 
Yeah, it did a good uh, job. Which of... felt really creepy. It was very cool. It was uncanny valley kind of thing. Yes. Where you, yes, very uncanny. You, it was the same but a little different, which is the best way to make something as, unsettling. As the kids say, it was a, a liminal space. Wow. Is right? that is that what kids are into these days? Liminal spaces. Yes. Yes. They are. They are. And uh, I mean, the the Enterprise has that in spades when there's no one walking down the hall. The computers are off. The lights are off. It's it's just instantly different once you lack the the flat lighting that you, you're accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the Yamato. Ah, of course, of course. Well, it's the Not sister the ship. Yeah, sister ship. And you know, of course, the the, 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 the Yamato. <laughs> the, the the Yamato does show up later, um, looking different than than it than it does here. So um, look forward to that one. Well, um, if if you haven't watched the series before, here's the thing. It does. It, is it actually confirmed to be the sister ship, or is that right, just the right. assumption? Because obviously, it can't be the Enterprise. We're on That's the Enterprise. Correct. You are right. You've got to be correct on that. Um, Yes, it's it's got to be just a copy of the Enterprise, and they think it's the sister ship because it's the only one that would look like the Enterprise from the outside. Exactly. Wow. You're very smart, Mitch. I am a genius. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I, uh, was, I fist pumped and said, oh. Oh, oh, I thought, oh. I thought you remembered something. <laughs> no, I, I don't remember anything these days. <laughs> um, yeah, so... so so yeah, then it comes out that you know he's just testing Nagilam is just testing the reactions, and of course we get back to square one where he decides he wants to um, he wants to see what death is, right? And I guess this is a pretty famous scene. It became right? it became in uh, in Internet Chief. Uh, yeah, uh, um, a meme, I right. think. It, it, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty big meme for a while. The um, the death of Ensign Haskell. Who was wearing a red shirt, as per Star Trek rules. Of course. Yep, yep, yep. We made sure that happened. Um, but what people don't know, though, is that what we got in the end was kind of an amalgamation of, of two different, much more extended scenes, right? Hmm. Um, Nagilam's kind of disgusted exclamation here when he, when, when he says, you know, what are you, right? Um this this was originally directed toward Ensign Haskell. Um, you know, Maurice wrote this. Uh, at the time, he was still very much a Gene loyalist. So, um, basically, what the scene was, was, um, I mean, a, a rather excruciatingly drawn out one where, where Nagilam would, he would just start listing um, Haskell's physical differences compared to the rest of the crew, right? You know, mm. dark skin, wide nose... Um, these aren't my words, of course, but, but nappy hair, um, and, and so on and, uh, until he eventually got down to his intrinsic qualities, right? You know, lower IQ, pension for violence, you know, it was a full uh, page of the script. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a long one. It was a long one. Um, yeah. So, so, so this all culminated in the scene we know and love where Nagilam kills Haskell. Um, although obviously his original motivations were a lot different, Right. right? Um, and you know, of course we also had, um, the scene where he questions Pulaski, um, 
as you know the 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 woman on the bridge and kind of did the same thing to her um that, that was that was another i guess half a page and um basically the 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 boys in editing managed to knit both of these scenes down into one um because we needed more time to devote to picard listening to classical music hmm. but you know you can't help but think of what could have been i think the episode it could have been double length at that point but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the real shame in all this is that we lost uh the footage of haskell's physical acting as Nagilam kind of you know laid into him which mm-hmm. combined with what we do see in the episode was going to be it was kind of our mission to get one of our extras the emmy win just to show right, like oh right. man this show so good even the extras win the emmys exactly it was quite the performance too right but unfortunately all we were left with was the the death scene which was good of it was course good. but it wasn't it didn't have the emotional depth that the the rest of the the exchange had to it mm-hmm. so because mm-hmm. because yeah. it, it really it really made you well i mean depending on the kind of person you were i guess either either it made you uh hate nagilam or it made you love him really uh which is the sign of a good villain it is it is it is so yeah, a, a bit of a loss there, but, you know, it's not like the episode can't stand without it. Right. Um, and so, yes, that's that's the point where Nagilam decides he's going to kill a third of the crew. They have the meeting. Um, and then and then we're we, we have this really stupid scene um, where, you know, again, Picard is listening to his classical music and um, a, a fake Troy and Data walk into the room to convince him. But we not don't to know the they're ship. fake. Not right. until the end. They shouldn't have been fake. There's. <laughs> these characters should have done this to begin with right no they were just ready to die <laughs> um it's it's just it's sad that that we couldn't have had a scene where the characters respectfully disagree on killing themselves so what was Nagilam's uh motivation in creating fake data and troy to convince picard not to blow up the ship well he he obviously wanted to experiment on them more right the bigger question is what was his motivation in leaving them alone when he figured out uh picard called his bluff you know yeah i don't know what reason does he have to keep them alive if i were him i would just be like okay kill yourselves whatever (laughs) it's It's not a loss because he certainly doesn't they don't earn his respect he goes mm-hmm. on a tirade at the end of the episode listing all the bad traits of humanity. Which which sounds, by the way, like it was written by an autistic cat lady. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Humans are vile creatures. They're I, impulsive I love my and violent. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Not like my heckin' Katarinos. Now, I don't think there is a really good justification for how the events play out here's the thing so following his uh failure to get picard to not blow up the ship which would be a great example of death as nikilam wanted to see it but whatever um he lets them go he opens a, a rift back to space and they fly through it and picard is super suspicious of this to the point where he lets the 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 self-destruct countdown continue until there's like one or two seconds left and, yes. and then he's finally he finally acquiesces and says okay i'll i'll cancel it 
mm-hmm. um, which is such a bizarre ego thing. Is I, I I won't be fooled. I'd rather die than be fooled. I must check that this yeah. is on the level, <laughs> yes. even though yes. I could just reactivate the self destruct sequence if I <laughs> took it down. Right, right, and and you know apparently reactivate it for like one second because you can set the time now. Right, because there is a firmware update. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point, and um. It, like we've said, I mean, it, it plays to uh, Picard's very kind of messed up character this episode. Yeah. I don't mind a character having flaws like that, but it's almost not presented as one. No, it's not. It's just, here's our primary uh, protagonist, and we're going to be behind him all the way. Because, because, because the scene that introduces what should have been a logical, rational argument to his actions ends up just being the antagonist messing with them. Villains who did nothing wrong. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, like, he's he's the one who's, like, morally correct here. Nagilam is correct. Yeah, if, if two-thirds of your crew can survive, they deserve that. I, I think the Picard stuff, Picard in general, his actions, his motivations, are the worst part of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The setting is good. The Nagilam stuff is good. Maybe the the pacing at the very beginning isn't amazing, but you know I can forgive it. The Picard stuff is consistently logically baffling, and that's a big detriment in your mental character uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We needed a countdown. We needed a physical countdown. Otherwise, there's no tension in the episode. <laughs> right, right. Which, you know, as you said, could have been done in a few different ways, of course. Uh, a few ways that, you know, maybe would have given the rest of the people on the ship a little bit of agency or anything like that. Anything. How did, how did you like yeah. the uh, the sitcom ending? How did it end again? Um... The card says, okay, resume course to wherever the hell we were going before. Oh, and steer clear of any holes. Oh, right, right. And everyone laughs and looks yes. at the screen. Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't really pay too much mind to that, uh, obviously. Uh, it's a little bit of a throwaway line. I, I didn't find it funny or anything. It did, did it bother you? Uh, I thought it was dumb. It didn't. It didn't bother me more than the things I've already complained about, but I didn't like it. <laughs> well, you, you have to add some levity to the end of it. You know, Haskell's dead. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> overall, what'd you think? Uh, overall, um, it's it's one of those episodes that in the moment it's good, and then you stop to think about it, and it's like, uh, you know, I wish they did you know, anything else with, with certain aspects of it. Uh, it's, it's worth a watch though. I think I agree. Um, I, I like it. I had a lot of missed potential, but overall it was good. And certainly coming out of season one, this is much more indicative of where Trek would eventually go rather than right before. Right. Right. And I mean, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, I, I think I, uh, I'm inclined towards these, these bottle episodes. 
Yeah. You know? I agree. Um, they, they, they always end up being, I mean, whenever you place restrictions on creativity, that's, that's when the creativity really shines. So. 100%. So I'm looking forward to more, more like this for sure. If we just cut the budget in half, the show Mm -hmm. would be a lot better. Well, what we should have done was we, we, we should have built another wheelchair after this one broke down, (laughs) you know, for $10,000. Yeah, that's. Really, it works in so many ways that the, the, the director brings out the creativity of the actors, but mm-hmm. the money spent on the wheelchair brings out the creativity of the director. Right, right. It's a symbiote circle. Indeed it is. By design. Um, so, I guess, I guess we, should, uh, we should move on to my question for you. Give it to uh, me. Well, okay, so there was one little bit of trivia I, I wanted to point out, which isn't so much a question, um, but... You know, we we have we have um, we have Meanie back as as the um, teleport what's the word guy. I'm looking for? The teleport guy, yeah. Um, and I think it's Riker who calls him Lieutenant. Yeah. Despite him being um, an an enlisted member, like he didn't go through Starfleet Academy. Right. You know, so he's not a lieutenant. So I, I don't know. I, I just found that, that I found that odd. And I, I think we go through a number of uh, questionable statements about O'Brien's rank <laughs> as the series goes on. I don't think they settled on anything until the very end of the show, actually. Well, I mean, who cares, right? I guess, but it's, it's just something fun to keep track of. That's all. The various ranks and positions he holds over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, he already switched from wearing a red shirt to a yellow shirt. Which is honestly kind of a sin. Right. He should have died. He was in a prime position to die. He was with everybody in uh, the the encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, you know, and, and he's an Irishman, so. Right. They're like life's red shirts. Right. Right. What are you going to do, though? What are you going to do? We, we, we have a lot of time to spend with him, so we better get used to it. Well, at least we can get excited for his Asian wife. That's true. That's true. Um, he's he's a creep, just like us. Based. So here's my question for you. Okay. In 2020, Patrick Stewart gave his personal annotated copy of this script to which Democratic presidential candidate on the Jimmy Kimmel Live late night talk show? There's so many layers to this question. Good God. Okay, so this this episode, where silence has loose, yep. to a Democratic yep. candidate on Jimmy Kimmel. So in twenty twenty, for anybody who doesn't know, twenty twenty was an election year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you you want to you want to just tell the audience what an election is? Sure. Um, uh, an election is where uh, the populace collectively operates under the illusion that they can do anything about their uh, mm-hmm. their life. And mm-hmm. cast votes into a void before accepting a result that may or may not actually matter to them. Right. Yes. I couldn't have said it better myself. So, is it a presidential Democratic candidate? That's the that's mm-hmm. the real question. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Obama can't run again. No, he can, mm-hmm. but he didn't. 
Um, no, we can't. I can't run again. Yeah, you can. You can have three non-consecutive turns, I believe. Oh, can you really? I think so. Oh. They changed that in the latest patch. Right. Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't read the notes. Um. Oh, my God. Who ran? I, I keep want to say Bezos, but that's the Amazon guy. <laughs> what and like it's like Bev DeVoe, but I think that's like an electronic artist. Right, right. You're getting there. I mean, the the sounds coming out of your mouth is pretty. They're pretty close. Oh, good God! I might give you half a point on this one. Okay, you're getting Be- beverage. No, that's that's that guy. That's not. This you're guy. getting so close. What is his name? <laughs> it's oh god, I I'm losing my fucking mind. Um, be be be. <laughs> uh, bev. It's definitely you're a just v. gonna say beverage again. <laughs> There's definitely a v a v in there. There's definitely a v. Uh, There's no V. There's oh no Lord, Belichick is the football guy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna lose. No. <laughs> shall I? Shall I tell you? Billy, yeah. Buddha Judge. Buddha, fucking hell. But 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 I I want to give it to you just because I know who you were talking about. Yeah. You 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 knew who it was. Buttigieg, huh? So, yeah, I so he he now has uh Patrick's um personal annotated copy of of where silence has lease. In a way that's better than winning the election. Kind of, yes. Yes. You can auction that off, get a cool like $250. Couple hundred. Yeah. yeah for sure. In Love fact, it. you probably already did. Do you think Patrick Stewart voted for Buttigieg? Trick question. He can't vote. Mm. Got him. Got him. I uh, I almost answered. I uh, I did. I couldn't leave the possibility that you would say, "Oh, Mitch, Patrick can't vote," because then I would look. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, you would look stupid. Right. So I had to to get it in there. It was a gamble yeah, in front of all the ensigns. You can't have that. Cannot have that. Well, I'll take my win. I'll even take it as a half win, but I'll take it. Uh, makes me excited for the future. Maybe season two is when I post a winning record on trivia for the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah, yeah. Well, join us next week, everybody, when we talk about episode three, uh, where silence has threes. And until then, everybody, please stay ready. The troublesome little man child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. Do you consider yourself superior to us? Should have told him to mind his own damn business. But I struck the beard thusly. Intellectual. Computer! Freeze program. It's not a
promising beginning, 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 beginning.